Thank you, Mike. As Mike said, my name is Lyle Horman, and I serve you as a member of Third Church's Executive Board. In today's Executive Board Minute, I'd like to share with you some of the issues that the Board has been dealing with recently. Back on December 16th, the deacons and elders whom you selected voted unanimously, 53 to 0, with every elder and deacon participating to leave the Reformed Church in America and join the Sending Network. The Sending Network is a new denomination based in this region. But their vote is not the only one. You also, if you have formally joined Third Church as a member, will be able to vote on this same question later in the spring. If you have any questions about that, or you want more information on the issues involved, Please, find one of us board members or a consistory member, and we will field your questions. The consistory's vote was historic. Third Church has been part of the Reformed Church in America for over 150 years. Still, even historic moves sometimes require a series of smaller steps in order to happen. And that is the case here. As the church has reviewed some of its legal documents, they have found that there are changes that we need to make in our articles of incorporation. Now, if that sounds technical and legalistic, it's because it is. But we still need to do it. We want Third Church to be best positioned to take advantage of ministry opportunities in the future and we want to have maximum flexibility to do that. Further, making these changes makes sense whether we stay in the Reformed Church or not. So this seems like an opportune time to do that. You will be receiving information about these changes to our articles uh, in fairly near future, perhaps as early as February. Uh, but I need to emphasize that you need to be a member in order to participate in that vote. Please pray with me. Our holy and gracious Father, it feels as if we are at a new wineskins moment in our relationship with the Reformed Church. If, in fact, you are calling us to something new, Father, we ask for the humility to follow your Holy Spirit's leading each step of the way. Do not allow us to run so far out ahead of you that we trip over our own pride. We want to follow where Jesus leads. We need your Spirit to show us the way. Father, we bring before you the members of the Third Church family who are facing hardship. For those who are ill, we pray for the release of your Holy Spirit's healing power. For those who are grieving the loss of loved ones, we ask the strength and comfort of the Spirit of Jesus to surround them. For those who are lonely, 
may new friends come alongside. For those facing material needs, may they receive both aid and opportunity to become more self-sufficient. Now, please join me in praying the prayer that Jesus taught his friends to pray. If you don't know the words, they'll be on the screen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you, Lyle. We're going to do a, have a moment of silence, but let me just set up the communion first, if I may. Um, obviously, this four times a year, we have corporate communion as a church family in all four worship services, and the elders have decided that two times we're going to pass a tray down the aisles, and then twice we're going to come to the front. So today we'll have opportunities all across the front. Elders and deacons will be in stations for which you can receive communion. I'd like to let you know that if you are a person who requires gluten-free in the communion trays of juice, there will be a small little packet that has a gluten-free wafer in it as well. So please know that's available. If you find yourself uh, maybe in some physical pain and can't walk very well, if you just raise your hand and one of the elders and deacons will come to you with the elements and serve you that way as well. Uh, for all those who have acknowledged Jesus as Lord and Savior, you're invited to join us at the Lord's table. And I hope to have a specific focus this morning. It's going to be around the word contamination. I'll explain it when I do some teaching, but this is what I'd like you to think about. This is where we're going to end up, Lord willing. Uh, it comes out of a, a conversation with a person who uh, about more than 30 years ago had an unwanted pregnancy. And uh, this young woman, for me, young woman for me, um, shared how much she's been troubled by that and how much pain she has felt and how much shame and condemnation. And I asked her, could I tell your story and then tell you what, tell the congregation what I told you. She said, yes. So I said, what would happen if on communion, on January 9, when you receive the bread and the juice, in your mind's eye, you take this moment of great pain in your life and you give it to Jesus. And I said, you'll be surprised he will not reject you or diminish you. Larry, can I talk about the funeral for just a moment? May I do that? So Larry, Larry's beautiful wife, Julia, died, and we had a funeral on uh, Friday. And we started the service uniquely. I've done probably 500 funerals. I've never done this. And so the song they invited the congregation to listen to was a song written by Dennis Jernigan, and it's entitled, When the Night is Falling. The backstory is... Uh, Dennis Jernigan lived a life with great sexual pain and tremendous guilt. And he wrote a song entitled When the Night is Calling, and it's a dialogue with he and Jesus. And as he sings the song, he, he hears Jesus saying, come. And then Jesus says, I will sing over you. 
And it goes on, beautiful, verse after verse. Come, I will sing over you. For communion today, when you, if you choose to come to the elders and deacons, could I invite you to bring the most horrible, uh, the worst moment of your life, and you give it to Jesus? And you hear him say, I love you. I'm going to sing over you. One of the things that's going to surprise us is these next weeks, these next 16 weeks, is Jesus absolutely is willing to embrace brokenness, pain, and sin. Absolutely. And he is not afraid of it. He does not run from it. He wants to bless us and sing over us as we repent, as we believe, and as we follow. So could we now take just, we're going to try two minutes of silence. And can we just be quiet? Would you be thinking about, if you'd be willing, at the end of our teaching time, to bring a broken, painful moment, you bring it to Jesus. Today, you're going to leave it with him. Let's pray for two minutes. Thank you, Lord, for the sound of that little baby. And I pray we'd be like the little baby with you. That we need to be changed. We need to be held. We need to be fed. We need to be loved. So this morning, would you love your people? Would you surprise us with how much you love? So we ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me start with something different. I'm going to do uh, some different things. I'm, I'm going to walk around just a little bit. So what, what I, want, I, want to, I want to give you two words. I want you to think tabernacle, and I want you to think temple. Tabernacle, temple. Tabernacle, temple. Why am I bringing that up? Because as I've been reading and preparing for this series, I am struck by how Jesus just changes everything. And I've never seen how much change 
but somehow it's hitting me this year and I'd like to bring some of that with you. So I'm defining it with tabernacle temple. A tabernacle was something small and movable. You could carry it around. And the temple was big and huge and like this building. What Jesus did, we're going to see in the Gospel of Mark, is the heavens were ripped apart and the holiness of God came down and Jesus blew up the worship in the temple. I want you to think about this now. And I'm speaking, I'm, I'm 67 and I'm raised in the church. But if I look back to my years as a kid in Sunday school, they were all, all, almost all Old Testament stories. So little was about Jesus. It was all David and Goliath and, you know, all the stories, all the stories. But an Old Testament mindset, watch now follow me, puts Jesus, puts God in a building. So the people of Israel said God is in a building. And they had all kinds of rules and laws in the Old Testament. And then they defined all kinds of things. So just imagine, we're walking up to Jerusalem. There's this huge, huge temple. And if you came to worship, you would come to me or one of us who was a priest, and you'd bring your animal. And after you had to bring a certain kind of animal at a certain kind of way at a certain kind of time, I'd take a long butcher knife, and I'd cut your animal's throat, and I'd catch the blood. Now just imagine, this is an altar. After I caught the blood of your animal, I would throw a bunch of it on the altar, and then I'd take a branch of hyssop, and I would sprinkle it on you. And when I did that, you were then holy and could enter the presence of God. So the whole system is predicated on coming to the place, talking to the person, the shedding of blood, the keeping of the rules, and then you could have a relationship with God. That was the temple. But Jesus comes as a tabernacle. A tabernacle moves. And Jesus moved all the time. In chapters 1 through 8, he's going to move and move and move and move. And this is what's crazy. In the temple, when you came to the temple, you had to bring your sacrifice because you had to get holy because you couldn't be in the presence of God. But Jesus does the craziest thing. He hangs out with sick and broken and all kinds of sinful people and diseases and illness and demons, and he touches them and touches and touches and touches, and he never got contaminated. What's the whole point of this? Jesus has entered in. Jesus has set us free. And now Jesus says to us, now you go do the same thing. So this is how the gospel starts. Jesus says to a, just a small group of people, repent, change directions, believe that he's the Messiah, the Savior, and follow. So this is what I want you to see over these next eight weeks. Over and over, I'm going to come back to this. If you read the book of the Gospel of Mark, look how many times Jesus impacts, touches, contaminated things, people. And this is why my action step today is I'm going to bring, so I ordered this this morning. I try to think through what single moment in my life is the most shameful moment of my life. And this morning about 4.30, just to practice this, I just walked up here to this communion table and in my mind's eye, I brought that moment to the Lord. And having read the Gospel of Mark over and over for the last months, I felt Jesus say, like at Julius Rumor's funeral, Jesus saying, come. 
and I will sing over you. And that's why we keep quoting over and over. There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we take our worst moment and watch what Jesus does. That's a setup. Mark chapter 1. Can you open your Bibles please to Mark chapter 1? Got to go relatively quickly because we want to have communion. But let me start with chapter 1 verse 14. And I'm going to go back to verse 10. But chapter 1 14. Mark chapter 1 14. Jesus announces good news. After John was put into prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. This is the good news. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Now what does he mean? The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Go back to chapter 1, verse 10. Just as Jesus was coming out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open. That is the moment when the gospel came. Heaven was ripped apart. Now, there's a second time in the Gospel of Mark the heavens are ripped apart. When is that? When Jesus dies. Same words. There is a gash in the universe. What's the good news? The good news is that Jesus the Messiah has come to earth. Now, watch me. Follow me. And he's not afraid of being contaminated by sin or brokenness or death or loss or demons. He is not afraid. And what I want to push at these next weeks for us is People were not religious ritual followers. We don't come to this building to listen to the old guy talk about the dead guy so that we can feel good about ourselves. We want to encounter Jesus. Yes? Jesus. And he is, listen, listen to me, everybody listen to me. He is not afraid, he is not offended, and he will not run from the worst thing you and I have ever done. This is what's nuts about this thing. I'll show you in just a minute. If you read chapters one through eight, it's just crazy. Jesus goes and touches people you should never, ever, 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 a Jewish people person would never touch. Leprosy, next week, chapter two, he goes to a leper. If you have leprosy in that day, you go off by yourself. And if you come around, you yell out, unclean, unclean, and everyone runs away from you. No one's within 60 yards of you because you're unclean. You have no people. You have no relationship. You can't be in a family. You can't live in a village. You got no people. You have nothing. What does Jesus do? He touches him. What does he do to a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years? All the ceremonial laws. Ladies, if you have your period, you got to wait seven days. You got to do all these things before you can be, be clean again. This lady touches Jesus and frees her. He is not hurt, offended, or afraid of contamination, including yours and mine. That's the nutty thing. We're going to see this all the way through. So the heavens are torn open. The good news comes, and Jesus calls this first group of people. It says in verse 15, the kingdom of God has come near. Heavens are torn open. Repent, turn around, believe. And then what does he say? Verse 16, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon, his brother Andrew, casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. And this is what he repeats three times. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets, and they followed him. When he got a little farther, Jesus saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them. They left their father Zebedee in a boat, 
with hired men and followed him. Now, verse 21 through 34 is one day in the life of Jesus. Watch what happens day one. They went to Capernaum, and when Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as teachers of the law. Now, what's that a big deal? So you know the old, old Bibles? You remember the, the old language? Verily, verily, I say to you. The reason they, they, the, the King James uses that is to go point to what we just read. In, in Jewish scholarship, in Jewish worship, if I was a Jewish rabbi, I would say, Rabbi Gamaliel says this about Mark 1. I'd say, Rabbi uh, Kushner says this about Mark chapter 2. And you're always quoting other rabbis. Always. And they already had myriads, myriads of rabbis and laws. What did Jesus say? All through Mark. Verily, verily, I say to you. He didn't quote anybody. And they're shocked. Because whenever they come to worship, whoever reads this quote and quote and quote and quote, and Jesus says, no, this is what I'm going to tell you. So what happens next? Verse 23. They're amazed at his teaching, verse 23. And it says, Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So what's going on? The demons know who Jesus is. The first recognition of who Jesus is, is a demon. I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. Have you come to destroy us? Now, what's going to be interesting as we look at the demons, as we look at the storms, as we look at various illnesses, the text says Jesus rebukes. So let me give you the translation of the word rebuke. It's to strangle. So in the first time Jesus is public in worship, a demon manifests himself and he strangles it. Now, this should raise two questions. Do demons live in religious people? And if they do, how do you get rid of them? See, all the way through Mark 1 through 8, you're going to see Jesus dealing with impure spirits, unclean spirits, demonic spirits. And Jesus has authority over all of them. Well, let's go a little farther in the text. Look what happens next. So the demons are screaming. They, they recognize who he is. Jesus said in verse 25, here's the word strangle. Strangle him, Jesus said. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently, came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed. They said to each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits, and they obey him. News about him spread over the whole region of Galilee. Let me go back to 24. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. Why is that there? Because when you cast out demons, the demons want to know your name, and you need to know the demons' names. So in, in, in casting out demons, you want to find out the name of the demon. And the demon wants to know who Jesus is. Because now he's in direct contact and fight with Jesus. So the thinking is, if you know the name of the demon, you can cast the demon out. 
So the demon says to Jesus, I know who you are because he's trying to get rid of Jesus. So Jesus says this. Just strangles him. So all of a sudden, the, re the hearers and readers are just going, oh my. The demon's trying to get Jesus' name because he's trying to control him. Jesus is throwing the demon out, strangling him. The man's thrashing on the ground. The demons know who Jesus is. That goes back to how we started. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Well, the passage goes a little farther. Let's go a little farther. What else happens? So verse 29, as soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the homes of Simon and Andrew, about 60 steps from here to the chapel. His house is still, the, the, the ruins of that home is next to the ruins of the synagogue. It's about 60 steps. And Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever. They immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her. Now look what he does. He took her by the hand and he helped her up. The fever left her and she began to wait on them. She, Jesus, touched her. That evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and the demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but they would not let the demons speak because they knew he was, who he was. He was the Messiah. He's the king. So in Jesus' first day of ministry, what happens? He says to his buddies, you want to turn around, Follow me, follow this direction, believe that I am the Messiah, and then follow. Now, why? Why did he ask them to follow? Well, I've told you this many times. Pretend this is the rabbi, disciple, disciple. They, they would follow the rabbi, and they would listen as the rabbi talked. And they would tell the person behind them what the rabbi said. And they called that walking in the dust of the rabbi. Now, what's interesting about Jesus and the disciples? In that day, the disciples chose the rabbi. I could not find any other place in ancient literature where the rabbi chooses the disciples. Now, I want to, I'm going to play with you this a little bit here. How old do most scholars think the disciples were? Probably junior high age. Young men. Because you only live to be 30 years old. How old was Mary when she had baby Jesus? 13, 14, why? Because as soon as a woman had became a woman with puberty and change, she was eligible to be married. So Jesus is walking with a bunch of little guys, young guys, and they're just listening. Why, why, was Peter, why was Peter the main guy? He was the only one that was married probably. So they're walking after Jesus, and they're just listening. Follow me, follow me. What did Jesus say? Follow me to the synagogue, and the demons show up. Follow me to the house where the mother's sick. Follow me where the... And they're, what's he doing? No, be, do. Know who Jesus is. Be like him. Do it. Now, let me just stop. One of the things we're going to have to work through over these next 16 weeks, ending on Easter Sunday, is how we respond to Jesus. So, can I just exaggerate a little bit, but I'm not really? So, to be a disciple meant to mimic your rabbi. This is how, this is how much mimicking happened. Now, I'm, I'm not being funny here, but the disciples would follow Jesus to the bathroom, and they would watch how Jesus did bodily functions. 
A disciple watched everything that his rabbi did. Everything. And you imitated your rabbi. So what you're going to see in Mark over and over is a Jesus who is a Messiah who is not afraid and is not contaminated by sin, brokenness, demons, or death. And what's happening underneath this is if we're a disciple of Jesus, we're invited to bring his holiness, his kingdom presence, wherever we go. We pray the prayer every Sunday. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on thee as it is. And how does that happen? We are asked to be like Jesus. But you have to have a relationship with Jesus. And that's why I would like today, as we come to the Lord's Supper, is that we'd just be willing to say, Lord, I want, I, let me see if we illustrate this. If I had suitcases, I use suitcases, but I don't have suitcases. So let's pretend that in my life, I've got 10 times, I'll just use two, two moments that were just oh, so bad, so sinful, so demeaning, so shameful, so whatever. whatever. What I'm observing as a 40-year pastor is most of us live our lives carrying these with us wherever we go. And I want to say to you, in the study of Mark, is you don't have to. He's not, he won't be afraid or contaminated by what was in. He will touch. Julius Frumer, Rumor's funeral. I just, I, Larry, I've been, I've been singing. I don't, I'm not a music guy. I've been singing that stinking song since the funeral. I've been singing it. Come, he wants to sing over us. Come, Jesus says. And he says, come, I will come. I will come. I want to hear you sing over me. What does he sing over us? He loves us. He forgives us. He wants to give us new life. He wants to set us free. He wants us to live with and like him. I'm going to go back to the idea of the baptism for a second. One of the reasons, why is there so much emphasis in the Gospels on the baptism? Because there's something unique and powerful that happens in the waters of baptism and the working of the Spirit. There's something that's powerful. And one of the things we're going to see as a sub-theme in our studying of Mark is the power of the Holy Spirit. It is his breath, his life, his strength that allows us to continue on. So we're going to see different moments in this life where some are just so incredibly painful. But, but I want to try to communicate here. Please hear me today. There is nothing any one of us in this room or online have ever done that will make Jesus shame you or condemn you if you have turned to him. Nothing. 
Jesus says to all of us, repent, change directions. Believe in who he says he is. He is the Savior. He is the King. And follow. Just follow as best you can. And sometimes we're following like this. And sometimes we can run. And some days I take three steps forward and I take two steps back. But you know what? We're making progress. Is this fair? I can look out. And the many I have a deeper relationship with, I can tell, I could tell stories about how your lives are changing. I can tell stories and give examples how people's lives are changing. But it starts believing that Jesus will not refuse you. So this is an internal battle for a lot of us, right? Oh, if people only knew. He knows and he loves. Someday when you stand before him, if you're in Christ, welcome home. Welcome home. Let's go to communion. Hear these words. Send your Holy Spirit, we pray, O Lord, that the bread which we break and the cup which we bless may be to us the communion and the blood of Jesus Christ. Grant that we, joined together in him, may attain to the unity of the faith and we can grow up to be like Jesus. As this bread is taken from many fields into one loaf and these grapes from many hills into one cup, grant, O Lord, that your church will be gathered from across the ends of the earth into your eternal kingdom. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. On behalf of the elders, I invite all who have a relationship with Christ to join us. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After the same manner, he took the cup of juice and said, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. The bread which we break is the communion of the body of Christ. The cup of blessing which we bless is the communion of the blood of Christ. If you choose, and if you would be willing, we invite you to come to the stations across the front or in the back. If you'd like an elder to serve you, we'll just raise your hand and someone will come to you as well. Our musicians will lead us in worship and praise. Let's receive from the Lord and leave your junk with Jesus and receive freedom today. Amen. Elders and deacons, we're ready.